When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. If you feel there's more to life than iPhones and iPads and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any kind of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you, if you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we have a special broadcast for you. However, it will not be forensic soul analysis. It will be an exclusive with Mr. Michael Harrison, who's the founder and editor of Talkers Magazine. Talkers Magazine is the leading trade publication servicing the talk media industry in America. It was dubbed the Bible of Talk Radio by Business Week Magazine. Mr. Harrison is going to talk with us tonight about what he feels and not only the future trends of broadcasting, but also where he feels humanity is evolving towards. Mr. Harrison is a very introspective individual, and in our interview, he raises several questions that we should all be asking ourselves. Mr. Harrison is considered both a broadcast visionary and a person who is considered ahead of his time. He successfully predicted the explosion of talk radio across America years before Rush Limbaugh, Howard Stern, and even Sean Hannity came along. Mr. Harrison is also a passionate advocate of freedom of speech and freedom of broadcast, which impacts every single one of us. Words cannot express the deep respect I have for Mr. Harrison. The very fact that our show has caught Mr. Harrison's attention and the fact that he gave us a fantastic interview is as great an honor as it is a surreal moment. Now, let us begin our show. Our guest today is Mr. Michael Harrison. He's the founder, publisher, and editor of Talkers Magazine, the leading trade publication in the industries of talk radio, talk television, talk internet, and talk satellite. He's a seasoned broadcaster with over 43 years' experience as a radio talent programmer, station owner, producer, trade magazine publisher, and is considered to be one of the nation's leading experts on radio, television, media, popular culture. He's incredible. Mr. Harrison, thank you so much for the honor of being on our show today. Well, I'm honored to be on the show, Ryan. Thanks for that lovely introduction. Very nice. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Mr. Harrison, you've been in the industry, broadcasting industry, for over 43 years. What are you seeing as some of the biggest trends and what has happened over the course of those 43 years that has, quite frankly, shocked you about the progression of talk radio? I'll tell you something shocking. I actually have been in the broadcasting business now for 48 years, wow. so uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm revealing my <laughs> my dating. I'm dating myself. Uh, I actually began as a, uh, a young uh, radio announcer back when I was uh, in college in 1967, and uh, I started to make a name for myself uh, 
you know, in, in a meaningful way around 1970. So uh, I've been around a long time. I'll tell you, I think that we are living in an amazing period of time in terms of uh, media, in terms of technology and the sociology, the culture that is impacted by media and technology. Because um, as a student of media theory, I learned early on that as goes technology, so goes sociology. Our culture is greatly impacted by our tools, especially tools of communication. So the entire human wiring, the, the nervous system, our brains, our uh, neurons, all of that fascinating stuff are going through a reworking because of the changes that are happening now on such a grand level. I don't think we've seen anything like this in our lifetimes. I don't think we've seen anything like this but a handful of times over the course of human history in terms of how rapidly we are evolving from one point to another in our evolution. That being said, well, radio and uh, you know broadcasting as we know it is uh, small potatoes when you think about the big picture of what's happening with uh, communications and with the internet and uh, clearly they are becoming unrecognizable to those of us who uh, have roots back in the 20th century so much so that the 20th century is starting to feel like uh, the the old country from from uh, which we immigrated years ago and uh, we're in the new country now that uh, seems almost like a, a foreign place that we have to get used to and uh, assimilate into or be left behind. Do you feel that because it is a lot easier for a person now to broadcast to millions of people from their own home, do you feel that, that in some way, shape, or form has diminished the influence over the traditional type broadcasting legends and giants that because there's so much choice, because so many different audiences can be reached by so many individuals, that it is in turn reducing the influence of these big legends? It's reducing the influence of the uh, legendary media, but it's not that easy to broadcast to millions of people from your own home. Uh, it's easy to broadcast to 20 people from your own home. Uh, the, there has been a, um, a reverse uh, equation going on. The easier it's been to break into media the more the media has been, uh, the term to use is democratized by the Internet. Uh, the barriers to entry have come crumbling down. The more people are doing it, the more people are doing radio shows you know, from their home, so to speak, or from their office or from their car or from their park bench. More people are making television shows. More people are making movies. More people are publishing books. More people are publishing magazines and blogs. But not more people are getting to more people. Uh, the day of I Love Lucy and Milton Berle uh, and that big ABC, NBC, CBS tele television network paradigm is over. So even though it's easier to get into the media, it's harder to get a big audience. The, you've got to really either do something very specific to a select group of people who really want what you're doing, or um, you are not going to get very far. Well, you've got to be really, really, really good at what you're doing, and not everybody that's doing it from their basement or their backyard or their or their bedroom uh, is doing that great a job. Sure. So, uh, yeah, the whole thing is is kind of falling apart, uh, particularly on a business model. And uh, we're going to be spending the next five or ten years at least trying to get used to it. Okay, who would you say, in your opinion, are some of the more 
most talented broadcasters you've ever come across, and what do you feel makes them so unique and exceptional in what they do? Well, I mean, I've known a lot of broadcasters, and I'm very careful uh, what I say. Because of the influence I have as publisher of two trade magazines, Talkers and, and Radio Info, so I, I'll, I'll just name a handful, but that doesn't mean I haven't known many, many great broadcasters. And then there are some great broadcasters that I have never met personally, um, but that I know of as a student of recent history relative to the 20th century. People like Johnny Carson was a great broadcaster. Arthur Godfrey was a great, a great broadcaster. Uh, Edward R. Murrow was a great broadcaster. Um, people like uh, Milton Berle, who I mentioned before, and uh, you know, Sid Caesar. These people were very funny. They were talents. They did live television. There were so many pioneers uh, that uh, I knew were popular on television and radio when I was a kid growing up. Alan Freed, who started rock and roll uh, and disc jockeying, as we know it. Uh, these are all, you know, wonderful broadcasters. And to answer your question, what was it about them? They were unique individuals with tremendous charisma. They didn't follow any kind of format handed down by a corporation or a consultant. And they were pioneers, groundbreaking areas that had never been done, which I think is important. Today, if you're uh, looking at uh, current players, uh, without anybody taking this as a, a partisan view, because I try to stay um, out of politics and be fair to all sides, other than the First Amendment, which I'm uh, a zealot uh, in terms of supporting, uh, I think you have to tip a hat to Rush Limbaugh for uh, the role that he played in uh, really preserving the AM dial for decades beyond where it would have uh, eventually you know, been beaten to a pulp by FM music. I think you have to salute Howard Stern for uh, bringing a, a uniqueness to uh, the airwaves and uh, really significantly challenging the idea that the government should be censoring art. That's what it really comes down to in terms of, uh, of Howard Stern. Um, I think those two are the most important radio personalities of, um, of our modern time. doesn't mean they're my favorites. Um, it means that as a professional observer, I think that they are uh, important and should be given their due as two of the greatest uh, of our time. Okay, and you think about them, and you think about um, somebody like Sean Hannity, who's another very popular radio host, something about what they do, even if they weren't talking about a certain political ideology or they weren't talking about their own interpersonal viewpoints, is there something about the way they communicate that is captivating, that is unique, that is a lesson that anyone who is really being serious about broadcasting and relaying their messages out to the world can learn from? I think that Sean, I love Sean Hannity. I think he's a great guy. He's a personal friend. I think that he's charismatic. I think he's a real decent individual. Um, I think he's fair, and I think he's, uh, just as I said, a really good guy. And obviously, look at the success he's enjoyed uh, now for a very, very long time. Uh, still a young man, and he's a, uh, he's a, uh, a multiple threat. He's a guy that is able to broadcast on radio and have all the skills it takes to be a great radio broadcaster. And he has the, uh, the skills it takes to be successful on television. Not everybody has been able to make the transition from radio to TV or from TV to radio. They're two very different media, and they require a very different set of skills. Uh, Sean is charismatic. He's a handsome devil, well-spoken, and he 
does something that I think is very important uh, in uh, talk radio, and that is he has a point of view, and he sticks with it. He, he's on a mission. He has a stance. I think it's very important to stand for something. I th- and, and it doesn't always have to be obvious what you stand for, uh, but you, you cannot just be vanilla. Uh, you cannot be background music and make it in today's media. And um, ca- charisma... Uh, spontaneity, um, and uh, taking a stand and being able to back it up, I think are very important uh, qualities, and I think Sean has that. Okay, and you've been featured on Coast to Coast AM, which is the nation's, seems to be forefront, um, or maybe one of the world's most powerful broadcasts about paranormal. So a show like that, you have George Norrie who gets on there, do you feel that is he similar to Sean Hannity? Does he have a point of view that he actively defends, or do you feel that the show really engages people just on the topics alone? That when you're doing something or exploring a topic like that, that you don't have to have a position that you could just garner, you know, curiosity based on what you're doing on the subject. You answered the question. Oh, you answered the question. I think that uh, I think first of all, I think George Norrie is a pretty good broadcaster, <laughs> and I think it's a good show. But I think just the fact that they have the show. <laughs> Just the fact that he does the show is a point of view. The point of view is that that type of material deserves to be on the radio. Now, George does not um, profess to believe his guests or to um, proselytize a different point of view. He, you, you wouldn't hear him say, yes, I believe that UFOs flew over New York City and that the aliens came and abducted the mayor. You know, he'll say, well, so-and-so says this happened. Let's uh, explore it. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. So uh, he, he takes a, um, a journalistic investigative stance. So he doesn't, he doesn't come on and proselytize specific events and a specific philosophy. But the fact that he does this big national radio show that puts people like that on the air is a statement unto itself in which he's saying this realm of information deserves to be heard. And that, in fact, is a point of view. And in your experience, you've been 48 years in the industry. What really captivated you about radio and what made you decide to start Talkers and really start engaging the industry and become a forefront uh, figurehead of the radio industry. And media what got me into radio was I grew up listening to it and loved it. I, lo- I grew up listening to New York Top 40 radio, I, and I loved rock and roll. So I was a I was a rocker, and I loved charts and surveys. I used to listen to the uh, Top 40 shows when they did the countdowns, and I and I compared all the different stations to each other and had my favorites. And then I started doing my own charts. I was doing my own record charts by 10 years old. Uh, so I, I, I loved it. I never thought I was going to go into radio when I was a kid. I was more interested in astronomy. I was interested in being an actor. There was a time when I wanted to be a baseball player. There was a time when I wanted to be a lawyer and a politician. And by the time I was in college, I was very interested in theater. And I, uh, but I loved radio as a, as a consumer. I never thought I'd be in it. And uh, I wound up being in radio because it was an easy way to get into show business, and I was a theatrical type. And uh, whereas, you know, it's it's very hard to break into Broadway or Hollywood. Every town has a radio station, at least back in the day when I was in uh, college, and it wasn't that difficult to get into it. 
I love the Wizard of Oz aspect of it. I love the. I was very, very attracted to the fact that you're the man behind the curtain and you could create all kinds of things without a big budget, without film, without cameras, uh, without uh, really having to uh, create the reality of what it was that you're trying to convey, that it was all the words you had and the imagination. And that really appealed to me. So I uh, was attracted to it for its theatrical reasons. And uh, of course, I was in music radio. Um, the reason I started Talkers years later was uh, it didn't take me long uh, being in radio that I started to become extremely um, taken with. I admired the talk show hosts that were out at the time, people like Barry Gray, Barry Farber, Sally Jesse. Uh, there was a fellow in New York City, Alex Bennett, who had a tremendous influence on me when I was a young guy. And, and the idea that you can do an entire show taking calls from people you don't know fielding questions and topics without any preparation, uh, really putting yourself out there. I considered that to be black belt broadcasting, and it appealed to me. So I, I became very interested in talk radio and was an early pioneer of FM youth talk out at KMET in Los Angeles, a rock station. I did a talk show on the weekend in addition to being a DJ and a program director there. And um, Make a long story short, by the time the 80s were rolling down, I really did think that talk was going to be big on AM. I had a tremendous experience in the trades. I worked at Billboard Magazine, Radio and Records. I published uh, my own publication called Good Phone Weekly. I decided to take everything I knew about radio and everything I knew about trade publishing and put it into a publication that would ride the coming wave, and that is that there would be a big... Uh, resurgence and an explosion in talk radio in the 90s. And uh, not only did I catch that wave, I played a role in creating the wave. And uh, I believe to a certain extent Talkers Magazine played a role in um, catalyzing, instigating, feeding, fueling, supporting, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, boostering the uh, talk radio explosion of the 90s and beyond. Wow. And what do you see as the next big wave or waves in terms of trends go for the next five or ten years in terms of talk radio, in terms of media? Well, uh, media is uh, going through, as I said earlier, when we started this conversation, yep. Ryan, I, I think that uh, uh, media will be almost unrecognizable in five to ten years. And frankly, I don't have all the answers as to, you know, on an inch-by-inch, minute-by-minute level, how it's going to change. I could give you some I could tell you what it'll be like in 50 years, but it's very hard to say what it'll be like in six months because there's economics involved and um, uh, there's the uncertainty factor. Whenever people have asked me, what's going to be the big story of the new year? Every year, they're going to, what are people going to be talking about next year? <laughs> My answer, based on experience, is the unknown. The biggest stories are always ones we don't expect. You know, on um, September 10th, 2000. Uh, we did not, uh, 2001, we did not expect that there would be uh, a 9-11. Uh, you just don't know what's coming up next. So uh, we always have to be prepared for the unexpected. History doesn't always go in a clear-cut point A to B to C line. Uh, so I don't know. So, I don't know what's going to happen other than it's probably something we can't foretell right now. Well, you said 50 years, though. What would you see the, the industry being in 50 years? There'll be nothing like we have now. <laughs> there'll be no transmitters. There'll be no radio stations. There'll be no television stations. Uh, there'll be no telephones. <laughs> it's going to be very, very strange. We're going to be broadcasting to each other from brain to brain. It's gonna, we're, we're, we are in the process 
And this is, I guess, where we jump off the platform of uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> traditional thinking, and now we're going to head into the metaphysics. We are, we are in the process as a species. And I say this just for you, Ryan. I don't normally talk about this, or people will say, what? Uh, <laughs> Thank but you. I, but I, I assume you and your show and your listeners are kind of hip to this kind of thing. We're in the, we're in the process of evolving as a species because of the relationship between technology and culture. We're in the process of evolving into a telepathic species. What's happening is we are in the early, early, early stages of having technologically induced telepathy. And we're going to be broadcasting in a way that if you were to pop up 50 years from now, 100 years from now, you wouldn't be able to deal. You would go, what the heck is going <laughs> on? Are these people on acid? They, people would be uh, maybe not even talking. People might not even talk. They, they'll, they'll be twitching and reacting and communicating in ways that don't require any of the uh, hardware that we are so – the clunky hardware of uh, the 20th century and the early 21st century – and uh, that's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. We're seeing the beginning of that. We're seeing the, the whole thing of being stressed out by multitasking and texting and having Google and having an iPhone and doing instantaneous research that taps into all the annals of information that have been collected since the beginning of time uh, at, at your fingertips, being able to communicate with any person you want to at any moment, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, tweeting, um, all of these things basically are the precursors of each individual being part of the hive, being part of the collective consciousness of humanity. And now we are going to be facing the challenge over the next 50 to 100 years of maintaining the privacy and the boundaries of our individual consciousness in a a sea of consciousness where the barriers have been broken down and there'll be far less differentiating between our own individual selves and the collective consciousness of humanity. Wow, that's that's incredibly deep and insightful and just curious, what is your overall perspective about uh, what life is about? I mean, do you have a metaphysical outlook on things? Do you follow any particular religion? Like, What do you think this whole life uh, life is about? I think that um, life is about trying to figure out what life is about. <laughs> I think that I think that people that don't think about what life is about are missing the purpose of life. I think that um, I think that uh, the um, you know some people call it spiritual, some people call it metaphysical, cosmic consciousness, religion, theology. Um, I, th I I think that uh, seeking the meaning of existence and consciousness. Existence and consciousness is the most important thing that we could think about. Everything else is just very shallow, very materialistic, and missing the obvious. The point of it is, is that existence is really far out, man. When you think about it, being, being here now is really freaky. 
but 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 people don't think about it. They 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 just accept it. You know, they oh, we live in the material world. Uh, I my fear firmly planted on the ground, and uh, I believe what I see and what I know, and uh, you know, they just take it as a given. They take it as a given. But if you stop and you think about it, you know, we're, we're, we're we exist. We exist. We don't know where we are. We don't know who we are. And frankly, the most important question is, we don't know what we are. Think about that, Ryan. What are we really? You know, we're people, we're on a planet, a little speck of dust going around a star <laughs> in the middle of space, uh, in the uh, Orion arm of a galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, and basically an average little galaxy out there among millions and billions of galaxies. Where is this taking place? Where is space? What is space? What is the universe? What is the edge of the universe? When did time begin? Do you really believe there was a Big Bang? Or is the Big Bang just the scientist's form of the creation uh, theory? Uh, is it just another religion? Uh, are the religions that uh, uh, dominate uh, thinking in the 21st century on the planet Earth, are they really uh, to be taken literally? Are they to be taken figuratively? Uh, is there a god? Uh, are we God? Uh, are we just machines? Is the, is the, in, uh, the universe just a, uh, uh, an unintelligent mechanical thing that operates? Do molecules just vibrate on their own and get together and create higher complex things that uh, basically uh, happen by accident? Are we stuck? Are we, are we uh, insignificant consciousness entities trapped in a bag of flesh and a bag of skin and really in an alien place that we don't belong? Uh, is the universe out to get us? These are the questions that um, really uh, should dominate everybody's thinking. That's incredible. And it was really incredible what, what you just said, those questions, because I, there are people who I talk with that ask those questions all the time, and most people wouldn't bring it up. And the, the extensiveness, it, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I think about this stuff constantly. However, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't go around talking about it. Because if I did, uh, it's hard to do business. It's, it, it, it's hard to it's, – it's like playing in a football game. You don't want to say, hey, maybe we should use baseball bats. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, you play the game that you're playing, but you have to understand it's a game. If you don't understand it's a game, then, and you actually think this is real, this is important. Uh, you know, I don't want to talk about that spacey stuff. That's not for me. Uh, then you're missing the point. So the key – is to be able to operate on both planes of reality, or so both planes of existence, the here and now in the material world, because let's face it, we are here. It, is, it seems real, and if it seems real, it is real to a certain sense, but to also be aware that everything we see, everything we feel, everything we touch is really happening inside our brains, and we don't even know whether our brain is the seat of consciousness. Uh, let's take this back to radio. Maybe our bodies are just like radios or television sets, picking up a signal from someplace else. Maybe you and I having this conversation right now, it seems like my body is talking to your body over a telephone, but maybe my body is picking up a signal from the greater me someplace else in another dimension. It's a signal, and my body and my brain are just, you know, hardware. And the same thing with you. And maybe we're having, maybe two people are, two things are having a conversation that are not you and me. Now, uh, I guess that I can, I can afford to be spacey here because that's the nature of your program. But these are the things that I think about as well as um, 
how many ratings a radio show has and whether or not it's going to get a good PPM score and what the cost of a 30-second or 60-second spot is in New York versus Los Angeles and uh, whether or not Rush Limbaugh is going to continue to get good ratings or whether conservative or liberal ideology um, is good for this country or Obamacare is going to work. You have been a very passionate advocate of the First Amendment and freedom of speech and freedom to broadcast. And over the course of the last 5, 10, maybe even 15 years, what have you noticed to be some of the biggest challenges to freedom of speech? And are you a little surprised that there are constant threats and uh, things blocking freedom of speech when you have the Internet, when you have so many different ways for people to express their perspectives? And does it concern you? Well, one of the good things about the Internet is it uh, definitely is a tool uh, in the battle against those who would try to stop freedom of speech. But that aside, um, the thing that I've learned as I get older, and, I, and, I, and I'm learning this uh, in my life, is that there's something in our wiring as human beings where we want to shut down other people's points of view. It, it's, it's in us. The biggest threat to freedom and to the freedom of speech, which I think is the foundation of a democracy and the foundation of all that uh, all hope there is for humanity to, prog- to progress or, or for America to be America, you know, aside from all of our symbolism, for America to truly be America, it has to have freedom of speech. Get rid of freedom of speech. You can have red, white, and blue. You can have flags. You can have eagles. You can have statues. You can do anything you want. It ain't going to be America. You need to have freedom of speech. The biggest tangible obstacle to freedom of speech is government. In general, government is the biggest obstacle to freedom of speech, any government, our government, any government. And the other obstacle to freedom of speech is human nature itself. Wow. And lastly, Mr. Harrison, in the course of your life, how do you wish to be remembered? Um, <laughs> I don't, how do you wish I don't to worry. Yeah, You don't think about it? I don't worry about it. I don't worry about it. I want the people that, that I, I – all right, I do worry about it. Uh, I, I don't worry about it on some grand scale because in the end, we're all just you know, dust in the wind. Uh, so I don't, I don't think of myself as how I want to be remembered, but I would like my family and my friends and anybody that I've ever worked with or been with on a personal level to think of me as having been basically a good guy, that I, that I was fair, that I cared, uh, you know, that, that, that they liked me. That's all I care about. I care about what the people that I work with and know personally think of me. Beyond that, it doesn't really have much meaning to me. Mr. Michael Harrison, it was a great honor to have you. And to learn more about Mr. Harrison and Talkers Magazine, please go to the website at talkers.com. It's a fantastic site. You're going to learn all about the latest and biggest trends in the radio and TV broadcast industry. Mr. Harrison, it was a great honor. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Ryan, for the opportunity. Okay, everyone, that concludes tonight's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. Very special thanks to Mr. Michael Harrison from Talkers Magazine for that great interview. And though they weren't on the show tonight, huge thanks as always goes out to our virtues. Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Laura Lynn, Miss Constantellis, and Miss Lisa Caza. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show, please visit our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till the next time we meet again, my friends, which will be in 2015, wishing upon you infinite peace, love, and beers. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you soon.
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything.